0: Okay, well, my name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here at TCC, if you don't know me. Um, And I get uh, the privilege this morning of sharing with you a sermon called The Gift of Lament. And it occurs to me that uh, the last couple of sermons that you've heard from me were about invasions of locusts and judgment on all nations. And now I'm here to talk to you about grief. But I have hope that there will be a day when I will get to preach a sermon on love or joy or something. <laughs> if you could just believe the Lord with me for that, that would be awesome. I would like to do that. You, know. You've, you probably have never heard a sermon like this before, and the subject may make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but what we're talking about this morning is a life skill. It's crucial. It's it's something that you need to navigate the journey of life. And unfortunately, our culture really doesn't teach us this, but the Bible does. The Bible does. To lament means to express deep grief or sorrow. Literally, it means to weep or to wail, to cry out. And that doesn't sound like much of a gift, does it? But biblical lament really is a gift from God because it shows us a pathway from where we are in heartbreak to a place of hope. It is a gift for us. And in my personal journey of loss, I've learned that God's not left us without instructions on how to deal with our emotions and our grief and our loss. And so if this is your season of, of grief, I, I pray that these words are a, strengthen, a strengthening to you and they will recalibrate you. If this is not your season of grief, just put them in your pocket, okay? Because you'll need them at some point. And so we're going to be in Psalm 42. If you want to turn there in your Bible before I read that psalm, I want to tell you a story. Uh, about uh, two months ago, I was in Warsaw, Poland, and there was a museum there about the history of the Jewish people in Poland, and maybe you, you know some history of Jewish people in Poland, probably the World War World War II history, but um, you may not know the whole thing, because I sure didn't, and I was a student of that area, but I didn't know all of this, because in The 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, Poland, the great empire of Poland, it was the golden age of the Poland-Lithuanian empire, and a huge part of of Europe was under Polish rule. And the rulers at that time opened their doors wide for Jewish people, and Jewish people came there and flourished. In fact, at one point, 80% of the Jews in the entire world lived in Poland. Can you imagine that? I had no idea. A rich, deep history, and they flourished there. That's why there were so many Jews in that area in World War II. And we know that horrible history of the German concentration camps. So we, we understand that part. But we're sitting there, there's a restaurant in that beautiful museum, and uh, the restaurant serves Jewish food. Good idea for a Jewish museum. And it's kosher, it's, and it's really delicious. We actually ate there a couple of times just because the food's really good. So I'm sitting there with my friend Matteo, and I'm, I'm sitting there with a pastor and his wife. We're eating together this good Jewish food. And, and the pastor's wife says, you know, it's something really funny about Jewish food because they take things that are really bitter, and they put them with things that are sweet, and it works. I mean, it tastes really good. So we're sitting there thinking about that and eating the goodness, and I'm listening to the music that's over the intercom, and it's Jewish music, and it's minor key music, which we usually think of as kind of morose or kind of maybe sad or at least thoughtful, you know, but it's up-tempo. It's, it's celebratory. It's minor key celebratory music, you know. Da do That kind of a thing. So I'm thinking, this is really strange, you know? I'm thinking the, the, the Jewish people understand something that we in the West don't get. We try to buffer ourselves from our sorrows. We figure if we can, we can buffer against the suffering, if we can separate ourselves from the sorrows, we'll have a good life. The only problem with that is it's impossible. You can't do it because we live in a broken world. But the Hebrew Bible has a secret for us. It's held a secret for for thousands of years for us. And it's a secret that is really important to understand if we're going to live with wisdom and live with understanding on this earth. And that is that heartbreak and hope can coexist But it's not an easy existence. But they can coexist. So what we have today is a psalm of lament. And if you look in Psalm 42, the first thing you see, if you have a Bible there, is that it's a maskil maskil is a term, a musical term, that we're not really sure exactly what it means. But most scholars say that it carries a connotation of teaching. It's an instructional song. Okay, This is a song that's meant to teach you something. So what can we learn from this song? Let's look. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Herm and of Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy, as with a deadly wound in my bones? My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this instructional song and we just simply say, Lord, teach us what we need to know this morning. Each of us in different places, our hearts are open to you. Would you just instruct us by your spirit, through your word, in Jesus' name? Amen. So this psalm has some of the most beloved quotes, you know, that, that it's, you know, the put in, we put them on cross stitches, we put them on little plaques and put them on the wall, right? Yeah. But it also has some verses that you will never see on a plaque on a wall. You probably have never seen some of those verses, have you? You know, pull those out of your blessing box and read them, and they're not your memory verses, right? It's full of tension and release. Well, it's a song. It's music. Music is full of tension and release. This is what music is, right? But this is like an orchestra, like a symphony of emotions. I, I just happened to write them down here, okay? So this is what I wrote down, the emotions that I see in here. In this order, in rapid fire succession, okay? Deep longing, expectation. See if you've, if you've felt any of these, okay? Expectation. Tears, fear of abandonment, a poured out soul, fond remembering, Glad shouts, praise songs, self-encouragement, hope, hopelessness, remembering, conversation with the deep of God, waves that overtake me, the steadfast love of God, prayer to the God of my life, abandonment, mourning, oppression from the enemy, wounded to my bones, Shouts of my enemies, remembering hope, fresh revelation of God, my salvation. Welcome to the world of lament. (laughs) Have you been here? I mean, it almost sounds like this. Whoever wrote this? Apparently it was a group. It was the sons of Korah. I mean, were they bipolar? It kind of seems like it, or at least unstable. Or maybe just realistic. Maybe they're just honest. This is the world of lament. So just to give you an idea of what lament is, lament is what happens when what we know to be true about God and our painful circumstances clash. In fact, sometimes they crash. And it's a mess. Our beliefs and our experiences conflict in this is real conflict. It's, I know you're good, God, but this doesn't feel good. I know you're faithful, God, but it, it feels like you're not here. And grief, I just want to say, that grief is not just the loss of a loved one. Grief can be the loss of a relationship or an estranged relationship that you're in. It can be the loss of a job. It can be an expectation that things didn't go the way that you thought they should have gone. There's all kinds of grief. There are probably people, even in this room, that are grieving the loss of a child, while another couple may be grieving the fact that they can't have children. We're all in different places. And I'll tell you what, grief... The ground's level here, brothers and sisters. I mean, all of us in different places, and we were born in different situations and everything, but the ground is level when it comes to grief. Everybody gets it. Everybody has to deal with it. But the Bible doesn't leave us guessing on how to deal with our pain or our loss or our deep sorrow or our fear or our desperation or our anger that's... Things are not just or our sorrow and repentance. It shows us how to deal with it. In fact, there's an entire genre of literature dedicated to dealing with our emotions in the Bible. It's called lament. Lamenting songs, mostly. And there's 150 songs in the Bible, right? Psalms. And 50 of them, one third of them, can be characterized as Lamenting psalms. In other words, psalms that deal with our emotions. A third of them, 50 of them. We also have the prophets who are often lamenting. We have an entire book called Lamentations. It's a cry out to God. And lament is a gift because it's a transition between the pain that we feel and the promise of God. It's a pathway from heartbreak to hope. That's why it's a gift. You're not stuck in your grief. And maybe some of you feel like you're stuck in your grief. I can understand that. But we're not stuck. And I want to tell you how my father taught me to lament by telling you my story in the last 18 months. I just want to get personal with you this morning. And... Uh, The most significant thing that happened to me last year was the death of my dear wife, Melissa. And the second most significant thing that happened to me last year was my father taught me how to lament. And I've shared this this message in many places uh, since the first of this year, but I realize that it's a little bit different today. It's special today because many of you knew and loved my Melissa. She was our Melissa. And for you, it's going to stir up emotions, and I understand that. That's okay, though. It's okay. We need to let God do what he's doing inside of us. And this whole point of this sermon is to understand what to do with these, rela- these emotions that we're feeling, okay? So it's okay if you're feeling those things. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. So many of you know my story um, some of you don't. So uh, last year in the end of March, I was at the uh, airport in Guadalajara coming home from a trip in Mexico, training some pastors. And as usual, i am called Melissa from the airport, you know, we're talking. And um, and she said, well, you know, the pains I've been having, I went to the doctor, he wants me to have a scan. And so I'm going to have a scan this afternoon. And, and I said, um, okay, wow, we'll pray for that for sure. And Flew home the next day, we got the results of the of scan. And it was not what we wanted to hear. It was that uh, terrifying trip to the doctor. It's the, it's the trip you don't want to go to. And it, it was stage four pancreatic cancer that was already metastasized to the liver. It was a really super rare kind of cancer. It was a very aggressive kind of cancer. It's the kind that they don't really know much about because it just happens too quickly. So uh, we got moving quickly. We started uh, treatments. We did everything. We did everything. We did everything. We did everything the medical community had to offer, all traditional medicines. We did um, treatments here in Knoxville. We went to specialists, specialized hospitals in other cities. We did non traditional uh, treatments, nutritional treatments. We did things that were um, atypical. We had people praying all over the world, literally five continents. We had people praying, praying prayers of faith, people who, who know God, who believe in prayer, like you, who were praying for us, who believe in healing, who know that God heals. We're praying prayers of faith for my Melissa. She didn't die because of a lack of faith. That's for sure. We tried everything and your love was so beautiful and the body of Christ sustained us and carried us and, your prayers and your love and your acts and your giving and everything was so beautiful to us. But in September, on September 16th, the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, Melissa took her last breath on earth. And she woke up in heaven. And it was, it occurred to me that this was the day of atonement and, I realized that she, at that moment, was experiencing the full atonement that Jesus died for her to have. She was healed, brand new body, nothing wrong with it at all, no sorrow, fully loved. She understood how fully she was loved. There's no insecurity. There's no, there's no fears anymore. The fullness of the atonement of Jesus she's experiencing. That's beautiful. But the sadness is brutal. It's brutal. And so we have a new word we use. It's called brutiful. (laughs) Because brutal and beautiful can coexist. (laughs) And they did. God was so good to us through the whole time, his provision and his presence was so, so good. And then she, the week after she passed away, everybody got COVID in our family. And then a week after that, uh, my daughter Katie gave birth to her firstborn son uh, ha- while she had COVID. A very difficult uh, labor and de- delivery, and none of us could be with her because we had COVID. And Amy was gracious enough to to help her through that. Um, and then Amy got COVID. <laughs> and then we got over COVID and we had Melissa's memorial service, and many of you were here at that. And so you understand it was it was beautiful and it was brutal, wasn't it? And after the service, I um the week after that, I was with my kids for um for a week, and we just I tried to spend some time one on one with them taking bike rides or hikes or something just to to process because I knew what I needed to do after that I needed to have some time where I processed I needed to have a sabbatical myself and I, and I know this about me I don't know about you but I know this about me I have to I have to go there and face it or it's not good for me right I don't know there's probably like 50/50 in a crowd like this right but uh, I don't know about you, but, but Melissa, when she would get in into a pool or into the ocean, she would like dip her her, t- her toe in, you know, just for a minute and let it kind of get, get uh, used to it. Then she would go like in into like she would get her ankles and for five minutes, and then then she would go down and she would get into up to her knees for about five minutes and you know get it. And to me, that's torture. Some of you are with me, aren't you? That is torture. Why would you ever do that to me? What do you do? You jump in the deep end and you okay, I'm in. It's fine. I got it. I'm in now, right? But that's not the way. She couldn't do it that way, right? Grief is different for everybody, okay? Never judge anybody who's going through grief because it's as personal as your own DNA. Your process is your process. My process is my process. But I knew I had to jump in. I had to jump in and I had to go. I had to face it. I had to feel it and I had to grieve it and I had to let God speak to it. And I had to help have him show me the way. And you know what's gracious? So many things are gracious about this time. But uh, you, you know me, I'm a teacher, right? I need an outline, God gave me a three-step process. <laughs> Go ahead, I know, you can laugh, it's true. It's funny, but it's true. I don't know what he does for you, but he gave me a three-step process. He said, here are your steps. I'm not even sure how it happened, but I knew what to do, and two of them were looking back. Number one, look back on the last six months of Melissa's life and process that, because during that time, I couldn't process it. You know, in that grieving time, and you're caring. For your loved one, you don't really process that much. You have to, you have to just do the next thing. So I looked back over that six months and I processed. And then number two, this was to look back over the the 35 years we had together, 32 years married, 35 years altogether, and just chronicle it. Just write, just write. Write what happened. Just remember it all. Look back. And then step three was look, look to the future and let me give you some hope. That was the three steps. That was perfect because I needed to know how to do this. And I was helped by two books in particular that I want to, to tell you about. And the first one is the Holy Bible. And it's written by God Almighty. And I really, really uh, encourage you to get it because it's the best book I ever read and it helped me a lot. And the second book was called Dark Clouds Deep Mercy. And it's a song, it's a book about about lament. It's a book about kind of the the steps of lament. And what I found was and I'm looking at these 50 lamenting psalms in the Bible, there's a pattern that God gives us to step through. It's like an order that we see. And I'm going to give you these the steps that are in that are in the Bible, but but I want you to understand grief is not like just an outline to follow, right? Grief is deeply personal, and a personal God will guide you through it. But I saw five steps, maybe because I'm a teacher, I don't know, but I saw five steps in these Psalms. Something like this happened in 49 out of those 50 Psalms. And so you don't have to write this down if you're writing, because I'm going to go through them one by one. But step one, we turn to God. Step two, we're honest with God about our complaints, our anger, our hurts, our questions. Step three, God unveils himself to us. Step four, we ask boldly for what we need. And then last, we simply trust him. Four of those steps we do with God's help. One of those steps he does without us. That step in the middle. So I just want to share these with you and just share my my, um, experience going through them. So step one is turn to God. This is really significant because pain can make you turn from God. If something happens and you don't know why it happened, and you're devastated, that shock can make you turn away from God. And you have to embrace your emotions. It's really important. If you don't, you're more likely to get depressed, to struggle with destructive anger, to develop eating disorders, <laughs> to have trouble sleeping, all kinds of maladies. If you stuff it down, it comes out a different way. It might come out in a, in a, in a sickness in your own body. If you don't deal with it, this is why we turn to God. We turn to God and we deal with these things, okay? When you feel those things, you have to deal with those things. When that difficult time comes, though, how do I know that I'm going to respond correctly? I can turn from God or I can turn to God. How do I know which one I'm going to do? It's a good question. I think... Much of that decision happens long before your time of testing. Wise decisions don't just happen. They work themselves into your life over a period of years of walking with God. So what I'm saying is that what we do in our day-to-day walk with God will make a difference when our time of grief comes. It's important. It's really important. Abiding in Him, choosing to seek Him day by day. Because, you know the saying, right? When your bucket gets kicked, what's inside comes out, right? Whatever's in there comes out. If it's an orphan heart, then this anger comes out. If it's a heart of a beloved son or daughter, then there's some peace. Even though you don't understand things, there's peace there. So, I could turn to God because I know who He is. I have a history with Him. I know He's faithful and I know He's good and I know He's kind, even when I don't see His kindness in a situation. I know He's kind. I know He is. He's trustworthy. And I had a list of questions, believe me. When you have grief like this, you have questions. Some of them got answered, some of them did not get answered. The big questions like why, and I honestly, personal opinion, I don't think why is a particularly helpful question. But we want to know why because we feel like if we have some answers, we're in control. Right? That's kind of what we feel. I don't know why this happened. I mean, we had enough prayer going up, half the world should have been healed. But she wasn't, at least on earth. She is healed. But we were praying for an earthly healing. That's what we were believing for. That's what we wanted. And when you feel that loss or something that triggers that loss, even later on in the process, there's a temptation to run to false comforts that are temporary, and they really don't do anything for you. So we turn to God. The psalmists, they turn to God. We have to press in to that. We press into him because what I've learned is grief is a thief. It steals the joy of the past, all the things that you had together. And it also steals hope for the future. So you can't can't get stuck there. Well, you can. Some people do. As far as I know, there are two options, and that's what I was faced with: two options. You can get stuck in your grief, or you can not. Right? The problem is getting stuck in your grief helps no one. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help my kids. It doesn't honor Melissa. It doesn't honor Jesus. It doesn't help the church. So there's really only one option here, and that's to move forward. But I don't even know how to do that. I don't know how to to be a widower. I don't know how to be a single parent and a single grandparent. I don't know how to move forward without Melissa. I don't know how. So we turn to God. My sabbatical was my turning to God, and I turn to Him every day. By the way, step two is when you turn to Him. You're honest about your complaints, your anger, your hurts, your questions. You know the psalmists say things to God that we would be afraid to say to God? Can you even say those things to God? I mean, well, yeah, you, you can when you feel that hard. You, when, you, when you're in that deep grief, you can say those things to God, believe me. But they say things that attack his character. I thought, you were a good God, but you're not. I thought you were a faithful covenant God, but you're not. I mean, just look at me. I'm abandoned. Look at me. We read this in the psalm today, didn't we? Several times. Look at me. So you have to say it. You have to come to God and you have to be honest with him, okay? I mean, first of all, he already knows anyway what you're thinking and what you're feeling. It's like not like if you say it, He's going to like get mad at you or something, right? Like speaking it out your mouth is going to change something. No, it's, well, it is going to change something positively because finally you're getting it out there where we can both deal with it, where God and I can both deal with it. So here it is, Lord. That's what we see. Psalm 42. Here it is. This is what I'm feeling, God. God. So you have to be honest about your complaints. And so I knew that I needed to be honest. And so what I felt the Lord leading me to do was to make a list of all the things that I lost when I lost Melissa. And it was a really, really long list. And a really significant thing happened to me on my sabbatical when I was on a a long hike around a lake in Georgia, and it was really a prayer. It was a long prayer. It was taking this list of things that I lost and bringing it before God and pouring it out to God. I mean, I lost my best friend. I lost the one who loved me better than anyone and still she knew me better than anyone and she still loved me. loved me better than anyone, even though she knew me better than anyone. I lost the wonderful mother of, to my children. I lost the hand that I hold during worship. I lost everything that we had together. And I, and I poured that list out to God. And it was, it was brutal. And At the end, I felt like, well, that feels a little bit better to say it, but it doesn't take grief away at all. But I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me in that moment. And the Holy Spirit will speak to you in your grief. Listen, in your darkest times, he's not gone. He's right there. He's there. And he said, now I want you to go back down that list line by line. And I want you to thank me for giving you that. Of course, when we're in our grief, we're focused on what, we're, what we've what we lost, right? That's natural. But I want you to thank me for giving. God, I thank you that you gave me a best friend as a wife. I thank you that you gave me someone who knew me better than anyone and still loved me. I thank you that you gave me such a wonderful mother to my children. I thank you for that hand that I was able to hold. I thank you. I thank you for this. And when we... Allow the Holy Spirit to guide us through this. He shows us the path through this process of lament. And and I understood that if I would allow the pain of my loss to push me into the thankfulness for what I had, because the only reason I'm feeling the loss is because I had it, right? It was the great love. It was the great grace of God. Melissa was the great grace of God to my life. That's why I'm feeling the loss. But you have to let that loss push you into the, to the thankfulness. It's like um, an eclipse. So you know what an eclipse is, right? So you have the earth, you have the sun, and you have the moon that goes between, right? And then there's some point when we're standing on earth and the sun, as big and bright as it is, there's some point where the moon is between us and the sun and the sun is completely in the shadow of the moon, which is much smaller. <laughs> but it eclipses the sun. And that's what happens in these psalms. 49 out of 50 of these psalms have this moment where there's an eclipse. It's a but you, O oh God, have done this. But you, oh God, are this. And there's an, there is a place where the, the questions why and the sorrow is eclipsed by who God is and what He has done. It doesn't take away the grief because the sun and the moon are both still there, right? But it, it gives perspective and it gives a pathway toward healing and a pathway toward hope. It's really significant. Dealing honestly with our emotions is a crucial part of healing. It's a crucial part. If we don't deal with it, we won't get healed. Okay? And I'll just give you an example for me. Um, One of my prayers since Melissa passed has been that I might have just like a little tiny bit of Melissa's mantle of kindness. Because if you knew Melissa, you know that's just who she was. She's just, she saw you. <laughs> and you really mattered to her. And she took time and she was kind. And she was that way to the very end, till, she, she, till her last conscious breath, that kindness, when her bucket got kicked, it was a kindness of Jesus that came out. And I know I'm, I'm not asking for Melissa's kindness. I know I'm really asking for the fruit of the Spirit because that's what it is. I'm asking for Jesus. But I want more of that because I'm not that. I mean, I can be kind. I got a little bit of it. But she had this, she had this gift. She had the fruit bountifully, right? So I've been asking God, I just would love to have a little bit of the mantle. I don't even want a double portion. I'm not even sure I can handle a portion, just like a half portion, whatever. Give me some of her kindness. You know what? I'm understanding is if I end up blocking my feelings and my emotions, I end up blocking my compassion. I'll never be that. I'll never have that prayer answered if I don't deal with my pain. There's not, the healing doesn't happen if we don't go there. And I know that many of us are uncomfortable about these things because we don't know what to say. If someone's going through a a time of grief and we're not, I know it's very difficult to know what to say. So I want to give you a pointer real quick about that. (laughs) Here's what I can tell you. They don't need your answers. So don't look for them. Don't look for answers. Don't try to because we end up saying things that are kind of stupid and usually unhelpful, right? Bless our hearts. <laughs> We're trying. We're trying. They don't need your answers. They just need your presence, and they just need your love. That's really it. And then if the time comes when they're opening up and they ask you for something, then you can, you can speak into their life, but just be there. Just be there. Your silence and your ear is and your love is the greatest gift that you can have. The general rule is the deeper the loss, the longer the silence. Okay. <laughs> Don't come and just start speaking things out. That's not what they need. They, they just need your love. If they know they're loved, you know, if you know you're loved, there's a lot. A human being can take a lot if he knows he's loved. <laughs> so that's what they need. Okay. Step number three, so we turn to God, we bring our honesty to him, right? Step number three is the part that he does that we can't do. He reveals himself, he unveils himself to us. In the process, in these 49 out of 50 Psalms, as I was saying, there's this turning point that, but you are God, and yet you, oh God, you have done this, or you are this. God, who he is in his character and his history, is revealed. We see it twice in the psalm we read, Psalm 42. It happens twice. And we understand that a broken world and a faithful God can coexist. And pain and thanksgiving can coexist, and heartache and hope can coexist. It's really easy for us to allow loss to define our lives when we're in grief. But here's what I want to say to you. If you're, if you're in grief or if you've been dealing with it for a little while, grief is real. It's very real experience right now, but it's not who you are. My identity is in Jesus Christ. Grief is not an identity. It's a very real, profound, highly emotional, soul-shaking experience, but it doesn't define me. Christ defines me. And when I see that, I see that when God reveals and unveils Himself to me, and I can become bold. He revealed it to me. He revealed His kindness to me mostly. So, step four is after we turn to God and we are honest about Him, and He opens our eyes to see who He is, then We ask the man of sorrows boldly for what we need. In my case, what did I need? I needed comfort. I needed perspective because I don't know how to do this. I needed to hear his voice step by step, knowing what to do. I needed to learn what the new normal looks like. And I needed to have hope for a future. (laughs) That's all. That's what I need, Lord. Our faith doesn't keep us from feeling the pain, but it sustains us through the pain, and it leads us toward hope, and we know that he's fighting for us. And what we see, thank God we've got a man of sorrows. (laughs) Thank God we've got a man of sorrows to come to. With arms open, saying, come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. This is who he is. This is what he revealed himself to me as. And the one who's lost much more than any of us will faithfully comfort and guide us. He's with us. Step five is to simply trust his character even when we don't have the answers. Well, that sounds really simple. (laughs) <laughs> just trust. Sounds, does it sound a little trite to you? Just trust God. Can I just tell you that when he does reveal himself to you in his kindness as a man of sorrows who wants to draw you near, it's almost natural to trust. Almost natural to trust. It's not like Something like a Band-Aid that you put on. Oh, just trust God. Just have faith in God. It is, it's almost like the most natural thing to do. It's like breathing. I can trust him because I know him, because I see him, who he is. God is still today in my point of pain, who he was before. Kind. Generous. Trustworthy, gracious, sovereign, with me. He is still those things right here. And here's what I learned, is that sometimes God gives us something more than just answers to our questions. Sometimes he gives us himself. And the questions are eclipsed by who he is. It really happens. This is why I lament is a gift. And there's a surrendering to what God's doing. He's always at work. He's, in, he's at work even in every little pang of grief I feel. Every, every time I step into this church building is a trigger. Because we've been here forever because she worked in the office. you know. Because we drove here every Sunday and I drive alone now. And it's a trigger. But even in those points of pain, he's present, and there's healing right there, and he's working. There's a surrendering to an active work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. He's doing things. Okay, so this is biblical lament, okay? It's, but it's not academic. It's just not step one, two, three, four, five, go through the steps. It's not a linear thing. It's like a real circuitous thing. It's a journey, And you kind of relive it over and over. It's intensely personal. It's interactive as the Spirit of God guides you through the journey. It's not a one time thing. I process this, I I practice this every day as I feel the pain of each loss. I feel like God fast tracked me a little bit on understanding how to deal with my grief, but you can't fast track grief, it's not possible. It just takes as long as it takes. And you surrender to the process, just like you surrender to love. You surrender to grief because they're tied together. C.S. Lewis said the grief now is part of the love then. That's the deal. That's the deal. But I want to show you the key. I want to end up by showing you the key to this. Because in all of these, uh, in many of these Psalms, And in these prophetic lamentations, there's a key to lament. And it's found in verse 8. Verse 8, you remember this one? In the middle of all of the mess and the bipolarity going on, he said this, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, at night his song is with me. And the word steadfast love that's translated there, it's a a Hebrew word. It's a really special word. It's a word called chesed. Chesed. Say it with me, chesed. Now you have to say chesed. It's a special word. It's a word that in in Hebrew um, is so unique, it can't be translated directly to any language. In fact, linguists have not found any cognate in any known language that is exactly the same as hesed. Hesed is unique. It's an undefinable word, and it tries to describe the indescribable loving nature of God. The King James Version uses 14 different words in different places to try to get across this one word. I mean, it's love, but it's but it's not just love, it's just, it's, a, it's this kind of kindness. And it's, so it's loving kindness, but it's more than that, it's tenderness. It's just this tender love and kindness, tender, but it's his mercy, it's his tender mercies. It's his loving kindness and tender mercies. It's steadfast love. He, it, there's no way to describe it in a word or multiple words. It's unique to Hebrew because it's unique to the Hebrew God. It's unique to Yahweh. There are no, no archaeologists have ever dug up a song, an ancient hymn dedicated to the loving-kindness of Malek. Or Baal. It's unique to Yahweh in Michael Card's incredible book Inexpressible you ought to read that one Michael Card Inexpressible he gives a definition he says this hesed is when the one from whom i have the right to expect nothing gives me everything i have i have no right to demand anything from this this god but he gives me everything it's hesed we read it the last couple of weeks in the book of Joel because Joel was quoting uh, Exodus 34 when Moses said, show me who you are, Lord. I'll show you who I am. The Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in chesed. That's who I am. This is the amazing revelation of the Hebrew Bible. It's not that God is holy or God is powerful. We kind of would expect God to be those things, right? It's that God is kind. He's kind. This is his heart of kindness to us. In the middle of this lamenting psalm, here's this word. Kindness. And the verse that God spoke to me over and over and over, I want to share with you. This is like the the main verse that He comforted my my heart with and showed Himself to me with. It's Psalm thirty one, verse twenty one. Psalm thirty one is an interesting song because David is surrounded by his enemies. He said, "I've heard the slander of many. There, there's terror on every side. There." Surrounding me and taking counsel against me to take my life away. But as for me, I trust in you, Lord. My times are in your hands. That's the one, one, right? It's that song. He's crying out to God as a song of lament. And then he says this. Why does he say this? Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love, his chesed, to me when I was in a besieged city. Which makes no sense. You know what a besieged city is. You've seen enough movies, right? It's a city that's surrounded by the enemy and it's cut off. And there's no food and there's no water. There are no supplies and there's no hope. And they're just waiting to die. And David says, That's the place. That's the place where God showed me his kindness. He made wonderful to me. He magnified his love and kindness and tenderness and mercy when I was in my worst time. And this is what I want you to hear this morning. We don't have to fear our darkest times. So I have a discipline that I do. I've done it for many years. And I journal through the year. And some of you know this already, but I journal through the year. And um, so I don't journal everything. Like I got up this morning, had a really good cup of coffee, blah, blah. I I don't do that. I journal just when I think the Lord's really speaking to me or challenging me or rebuking me or encouraging me, something, something real significant. And so at the end of the year, usually the last week of the year is my favorite week of the year because I'll go through my entire journal and I'll go back and I'll, I'll spend a lot of time and I'll look through there and I'll underline and I'll uh, write other things you know down and I'll star and highlight. And I'll say, what are the five things that God has spoken to me this year that I think were the most important, important things that he wanted to speak? What he's been building into my life, I call them my top fives. And so I have my top five every year since 19, since uh, 2006. 2006 is when I started. So, and these are the things that, that I don't want to forget and that he's built into my life and they become like a, a life message for me. And so the only problem is I hate 2021 because it's the worst year of my life. And so I get to the end of the year and I don't want to go back through my journal, but it's a discipline and disciplines are things that we do not because we feel like them because they're disciplines. And so I did it and I found the grace of God in my journal. And the word makes no sense at all. The word that was that was written over the entire year emblazoned over my year was the word kindness. <laughs> Blessed be the Lord because he has made wonderful to me, his kindness, his said in my besieged city, in my darkest time. He revealed his kindness to me. He was kind in his provision. He was kind in his presence. He was kind through you. He was kind. He gave me everything I needed. He gave Melissa everything she needed. <laughs> he was kind. And even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. And surely your goodness and your chesed will follow me all the days of my life. That's what it says. Kindness. The grief is is brutal, but the kindness is beautiful. And they go together. It's just part of it in this world, right? It's part of it. And I just want to remind you, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that we, we believe is a lamenting gospel. It's a God who weeps over his loss, over love that's been lost because the other party has rejected him. All through the prophets, we see that lament. It's God weeping, God is crying. God is crying out, a holy God who weeps because he wants you to be with him. A man of sorrows who grieves over a city or grieves over a friend or grieves and weeps because he has to drink a cup that's filled with the wrath of God. Because the price has to be paid. And he takes the pain into himself to reconcile us to himself. Jesus is God's Hesed, The one from whom I have the right to expect nothing has given me everything. You should run to a God like this. Not walk, you should run to a God like this. And all those lamenting psalms end up being prophecies because God speaks during lament. And so many of them end up being messianic prophecies, like the one Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's Psalm 22. It's a lamenting psalm. It's a pouring out of a desperate place. And you read Psalm 22 and John 19, and they're like the same thing. And Jesus is crying out, why have you forsaken me? Why do these lamenting psalms become messianic prophecies? Because Jesus is revealed in your lament. In your grief, Jesus is revealed to you in a greater way. There's a real revelation So here's what I want you to understand. Lament is a holy space. It's a bridge from heartbreak to hope. And we don't have to fear because he's with us. Upholding us, covering us with his chesed. Lament is like a threshold, a door. You know, when you're in a threshold, you're not in that room or you're not in that room, right? You're not where you were but you're not where you're going to be. You're just in this liminal space here where there's grieving going on and you're in between, but it is a doorway into hope. When you grieve the way the psalmists grieved, when you turn to God, when you're honest with Him, when He opens your eyes to Him, when you ask for what you need and trust Him, It's a doorway into hope. So, actually, I did get to preach a sermon on love and hope today. (laughs) I just thought of that. (laughs) Hallelujah! (laughs) In the in the waves, in the storm, in the breakers of this broken world, we're tethered to God. We're anchored. We're going to be okay. Going to be okay. And our theology, here's what I've learned. My theology becomes very real and it becomes a source of my hope. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He that believes in him, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus conquered death. And as believers, we will not only live forever, we will do so in a new heaven and earth because God has promised to fix the brokenness and because God sent Jesus to carry out a plan to end all suffering. Jesus Christ will make all things new. And I believe these things now more than I ever did. And this is our hope. And because of these truths, I know that, G, that Melissa is more alive than any of us are here this morning. <laughs> this is the hope we have in Jesus. Jesus. So I want to pray for you. If you guys could just stand up. Let's stand together. God of comfort. You've been faithful to show your kindness to us, Lord, from generation to generation. And everyone who turns to you, Lord, you, you never turn them away. And you invite us into a place of rest, even in the midst of our grief and our sorrow and our fear and our anger and our desperation. Our repentance. You stand with your arms open for us, God. Thank you. We thank you that you're a God like that, Lord. You've been a refuge to everyone who comes to you. And I ask you this morning, God, that you would be that refuge to each of us today who are in this journey of grief and lament. Lord, I ask you to draw us by your kindness so that we could turn to you that you would give us courage, Lord to be honest with you that you would open our eyes to see the wonder of your kindness even in our worst place open our eyes to see who you are, God and that you would draw us, as your word says, boldly into your throne of grace, God, so that we can obtain the help that we, that we need. Draw us into that place, God, and give us the faith to trust you and take the next step, Lord, I pray. Make your loving kindness wonderful to us in our besieged city, Lord, I pray. Help us, Lord, I pray also to see your work that's inside of us, Lord, you're working in us constantly. Even in our grief, Lord, comfort us and heal us so that we can be your agents of comfort and your agents of healing to those people who are around us as well, Lord. We can comfort others with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted. God, I ask you to give us hope as we look for the day when you make everything new. Or the day that there will be no more tears and no more shame and no more fears and no more pain because of the work of your Son, Jesus. And To everyone who's grieving right now, I just want to say, as I was praying for this sermon this week, I wanted to say what Melissa would want to say to you. And if you're grieving right now, He loves you so much. He's with you. He will give you everything you need. He will help you see a future and a hope. And the last thing that I did on that long walk around that lake when I was honest with God is I offered up to Him all the dreams that Melissa and I had for the last years of our lives because we had some dreams. We were entering to a different season in our lives and there were a lot of dreams, a lot of things we felt like the Lord was leading us into. and Now those dreams were dead because they died with her. But I felt God speak to me as I was releasing that, surrendering those dreams. I felt him speak to me. Those dreams may be dead, but dreaming is not dead. And I will guide you through this process and I will give you dreams that come from me. So, for those who are grieving, it's not over. It's not over. Dreaming is not dead. There's hope, there's a future, and it's a good one. It's a hard one. It's going to be beautiful and it's going to be brutal. It'll be brutal. But in the midst of it, he's with us walking all the way. He's not finished with you yet. He's not finished with you yet. Thank you, Father. I pray for you to release those dreams in the hearts of people now, God. I ask you to release hope, and I ask you to release faith that they can dream again, Father. Thank you for that, Lord. And I pray for those who are here this morning, Lord, who are not in that place of grief. God, I ask you to, uh, to bring courage to them. I ask you that, that the truths that are in this sermon, Lord, would also encourage them that they don't have to fear what they're fearing right now. Their greatest fears right now, they don't have to fear because you're with us, God. And your hesed follows us every day of our life, Lord. And I ask you to release them from fear. And I pray for those who don't know you yet. Lord, they don't know your grace through Jesus. God, I pray that you would draw them to you and they would run, run, run to a God that has his arms open. And I thank you for that, Father.